I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. I can't control anyone or anything outside of myself, especially my children, as we all know, and that can feel really disempowering. I have choices internally. I can choose how I think about a situation. I can choose how I talk about a situation. I can think about how I label a particular child or don't label them. There are so many choices that we have throughout the day that are micro choices. And the brain does not reject small decisions because it it doesn't feel threatened. And so in that sense, I feel like it's actually very powerful to find choice in the internal ways that we are grappling with our unique situations. I'm Debbie Reber and welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. A concept we have explored a lot on this show and in the Tilt community is agency, and always in the context of how to scaffold and support our kids in developing agency or helping them have a bigger sense of control and autonomy in their lives. But guess what? We, the parents and caregivers in our kids' lives, we need agency too. And in this conversation, we're going to be exploring how to expand our own sense of agency and personal choice so we can show up more intentionally to our daily lives as parents. And to talk with us all about this is Dr. Amy Hoyt, a mom of five children, three of whom are differently wired, and a specialist who's been working in the field of trauma for 10 years as a researcher of mass trauma and individual trauma. Amy is the founder of Mending Trauma, a digital mental health platform dedicated to helping women recover from trauma and PTSD, and is an author, podcaster, and speaker who is passionate about helping others learn skills that allow them to parent and live with intention and agency. During this conversation, you'll hear us talk about what agency and choice look like in the context of parenting and how micro choices can help us develop an internal locus of control, which is critical for us to have. 
Amy also gave us a few short, easy practices we can do that will help us strengthen our sense of agency, as well as reset our nervous system, which for so many of us is in need of support, especially if we tend to operate in a more hypervigilant state due to stressors in our parenting lives. And because Amy is an expert in trauma, we actually begin this conversation by talking about how residual trauma in adults can be triggered by our parenting journey, as well as how it might show up, especially when we're raising differently wired kids and we may be differently wired ourselves. And on that note, a quick trigger warning. In the beginning of this conversation, Amy shares why working in trauma is something she felt called to do. And as part of that, talks about abuse she experienced as a child. So please take care of yourself if that's a subject that is difficult for you. So a deep, important topic for today. Let's dive into agency, control, and trauma with Dr. Amy Hoyt. Hey, Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Debbie. I'm really excited to be here. You reached out to me a couple months ago, and I hear from a lot of people, as you might imagine, and I always explore their work. And I checked out your website, and the work that you're doing in the world just seems so interesting and relevant to my community. So I think we're going to have a very interesting dialogue today. So thank you, first of all, for reaching out to me. I've read your bio already, but I always want guests to put their story into context and kind of share their personal why or how they came to be doing the work that they're doing in the world. So anything you want to share would be really lovely. Sure, absolutely. Well, I think my origin story typically starts when I was eight years old and I experienced abuse in my childhood home. And it was a foster brother who had been brought in to live with us. And so I was sexually abused at a young age. And that really sent me on a trajectory of what we now know was severe nervous system dysregulation and different responses that I now understand as trauma responses. And that led to addiction pretty early in my life as a teenager. And I ended up in a a rehab facility and a halfway house when I was 18 and started the sobriety journey. And so what this did is it it set up this, this very young way of looking at what happened to me and how I could possibly minimize some of the symptoms. And that really ultimately led me into my academic pursuit of uh, gender studies and religious studies and ethics. And of course, once you get your PhD, you start to kind of choose your particular area of research. And I was really drawn, no surprise, to trauma and to mass trauma. And so I led research in different parts of Africa for several years And worked on a fairly large project looking at mass trauma and forgiveness. And that was a really pivotal point in my life because I started to make these connections between mass trauma and individual trauma. And what we were seeing with survivors of genocide and apartheid And what was working for them in terms of helping them with symptomology and helping them carry on with life. And then kind of starting to translate that into what we were seeing, you know, this was right before COVID. And so what we were seeing in the Western world. And that is when my sisters and I, one is a licensed therapist in California, and one is a medical doctor in California, we 
started talking so much about what we were all seeing in our research and in our different fields, and it was trauma. And that led us to basically form a digital mental health program to help people recover from trauma. And that is how I ended up working in individual trauma. What an incredible story. And even just to go back, you as an 18-year-old, I hear from so many families who are navigating significant disruptions with their teenagers. I did an episode last season about the options available for kids who are struggling with addiction, with harmful behaviors. And so to hear that you were in that place at 18 and then to see you and have this conversation with you today, like what an incredible journey. I think it's so hopeful for people. Can you even just talk a little bit about that? Oh, absolutely. I do feel like that was one of the biggest gifts that I have been given in my life is an early intervention. And it was a best friend who called my parents and said, she needs help. Like she's completely out of control. And so that act of courage, and then my parents' courage and their willingness to get me help because they could have just buried it or not dealt with it directly. And since sobriety taught me a lot about without knowing the language. I mean, when you go to 12 steps, there's wonderful resources and they are free for anyone who is considering stopping drinking. But the language is a little bit different than what I know now was nervous system dysregulation and some problematic neural wiring, if you will. But what it did is it set me up on this path of not being afraid of looking at myself and not being completely terrorized to face some of my flaws, which are many, because I'm human. (laughs) And so that journey was, of course, attending meetings and having a sponsor, and then it was helping other people work through sobriety as well. And that act of service, I think, is the most meaningful. In particular, I think the most poignant part was the self-reflection that you're asked to do when you get sober. And it is a particular step in the 12 steps. And you're asked to take a personal moral inventory. And what that did is it, you then go and make amends with people. And I think that just, it was, I mean, it was awful. I put it off and put it off. And then when I finally did it, the relief was so intense I became almost, I don't want to say addicted, but I just don't want any contention in my life anymore. I don't want disruptions like that. I want to take responsibility for myself. And I think that's what it really did for me ultimately is make me less afraid of the pains of discomfort and growth. Wow. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. I do want to talk about trauma a little bit. That's a big part of your work. And I think trauma is something that is misunderstood. It's a word that has gained invisibility or popularity or what you will in in past several years. I think there are people who lean all in into kind of acknowledging trauma they may have experienced. There are people who don't think that what other people may feel as trauma is actually trauma. How would you define it in the scope of the work that you're doing and for listeners to really have a sense of what it means to have experienced trauma? Absolutely. Well, I was certified through the Trauma Research Foundation that Bessel van der Kolk founded. And so I definitely follow the definition of trauma that it is a terrible event that is overwhelming and that fundamentally changes the way that you view the world and you view yourself 
And it ultimately is a, a change that is quite negative and harmful. I was recording a podcast episode with my sister earlier today, and that was actually the topic we were recording on is, how do you know it's trauma when trauma's become a buzzword? And I think ultimately, two points. One, no one else can tell us when we're overwhelmed. And so it's not uncommon to have people raised in the same home that had radically different experiences. My sister was not abused when she was eight or sexually at any age. She has a radically different experience. So we were raised by the same parents and there were other issues in the home, but we have very different childhoods. So she can't tell me, nor can I tell her what circumstance overwhelmed her nervous system and flooded her with this feeling of fight, flight, freeze, right? And then the second point is, I guess, what is the harm? And I know one of the things that people worry about is that if trauma becomes too common, that it will lose some of its meaning. But we know through the ACEs study, the landmark study that the NIH did in 1997 with Kaiser Permanente, that 64% of American adults have experienced an adverse childhood event, which is trauma. So is it a buzzword or is it an awareness, a cultural awareness? Because if in a research study, 64% have experienced this, we know the numbers are higher. So those are the two things that kind of come to mind when we talk about trauma. Yes, it's a buzzword. And a lot of us have trauma and those two things can coexist. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say for listeners too, we've done a couple episodes where we've talked about trauma in our kids. And for the purposes of this conversation, we really want to be focusing on us as parents and what our experience has been. I know that you are passionate about teaching others to reprogram their brains and to heal their nervous system so they can overcome challenging behaviors that may stem from past trauma. And if our kids have experienced trauma, especially again, in this neurodivergent space, it can trigger our own trauma as parents. So what might that even look like? How would a parent listening to this know if they're experiencing a trauma response to something that's happening in relationship with their child or just in their daily life? That is a really good question, Debbie. So there are over 40 symptoms of trauma and they range from, this is my favorite because it's so obscure and I happen to have this one, not having proprioception, the ability to understand where your body is in space and time. So you get lost a lot and you bump into things. So that can be a symptom all the way up to over drinking. And so we have many, many symptoms of trauma. So one way would be to familiarize yourself with the symptoms of trauma. But I think a more practical and immediate way to know if we're in a trauma response is to understand what's happening in our body. Trauma shows up as adults as physical bodily reactions. And so that clenched stomach you've had or that tightness in your chest that keeps coming during a stressful situation, those are all invitations to get curious about what's happening in your body. And when we do have a nervous system dysregulation, which is part of a trauma response, it's going to show up as pain. It can show up as chronic illness. It can show up as your face going red all of a sudden, heart palpitations. And so in our Western culture, where we're very cut off from the body and the body and brain are seen as completely separate, 
this is so counterintuitive, but we need to go into the body and just start cultivating awareness. And that awareness is going to be able to show us what's happening when our neurodivergent child is not doing well and needs us to help them resource. Are we feeling triggered? And how do we know that? What's going on with our body? I interviewed earlier Hunter Clark Fields for the show for the season. And her thing is mindfulness. We talked about her book, Raising Good Humans Every Day, but we really talked about mindfulness and cultivating this practice. And she also was just talking about the importance of going into our body and leaning into it and go, you know, that we can't skip it. We have to lean into the discomfort. So you are reiterating that. And it's not always what we want to hear as parents, because it'd be really nice if we could just be like, okay, got it. I'm just going to put that on that shelf over there and go on with my life. It would be nice. And yet, oh, we just stay stuck. And that's really painful. Yes. We're going to pivot to be talking about agency shortly. But I do have one more question about trauma and what's well, probably a whole other episode. But I do want to touch upon one more aspect of trauma before we move on. And we'll do that right after a quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com tilt for 25% off. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. 
The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. So we are going to be talking about agency and choice, which I think is related certainly to all of this work that we're doing. But before we make that full pivot, I would love to just even share if listeners have been listening to this conversation and they're recognizing, yeah, this is something that is showing up in my life. Like, What would be a first step for them? I mean, you mentioned, of course, Bessel van der Kolk's resources, but is there a best practice in terms of where to start if you want to get to know your own trauma and start to work to mend that? Absolutely. There's a few things. One in the moment, because that's when it starts to become really urgent. I would definitely recommend doing deep breathing. And that way we can reset our nervous system. My favorite breath work is the physiological sigh. It's also known as the double breath sigh. It's two inhales through the nose, which you hold, and then an exhale through the mouth. And you do that. New research actually has shown from the Huberman lab that when you do that for five minutes a day, it actually helps with depression, anxiety for a 24-hour cycle. Isn't that amazing? I know. But when we do it in the moment, which is a lot of what I end up doing, you know, three of my kids are differently abled. I do it in the moment and it will it will help reset. So I would say that would be my first tip. And then once you have the space and the resources to look into if this is a journey for you, I would say Bessel van der Kolk's book is awesome. And it is a little bit more of a textbook level. And so if that is how you like to learn, that would be perfect. Deb Dana also has some great exercises for somatic work, just truly incredible. Um, I'm thinking of her workbook that she has, and I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but Deb Dana, anything she does is going to have wonderful actual exercises that you can do in the moment. That's great. We had Deb Dana on the show last year about her book, anchored. Her work is incredible. And she is really such a good interpreter of polyvagal. And I love her approach. And also the Huberman Lab, I'll find a link to that episode. And I'll share it in the show notes page. I love that show. But it's really I mean, he goes deep, I need like notepads. But that's fascinating about that physiological side. I want to know so much more about that. Yeah, so cool. Yeah. And I think it's such a great small step that we can all do because sometimes we think of mending our trauma, healing our trauma as a just a multi-year process. Start small. The brain loves small steps. So let's make the pivot then. When we were emailing back and forth, we talked about talking about this idea of agency. Again, this is something we often are exploring within the context of our kids. How can we help our kids have a sense of agency and self-control in their lives But we want to look at agency as parents in our experience. So just so we're on the same page, do you have a good definition of agency? I do. So agency is the ability to self-direct in a meaningful way. And a lot of times it can be thought of as personal choice. Old definitions of agency used to kind of focus on autonomy and independence, 
But in a relational model, what we're talking about when we talk about agency is making choices that both allow for self-direction without severing the relationship and connectedness that we are all working so hard to maintain with our children. That's a great definition. And I love that newer way of looking at it outside of the autonomy and independence, because that's something we've also talked a lot about on the show is that there has always been such a priority on helping our kids be independent to do all these things. And actually, none of us are independent. I mean, I have such a support system around me and am in community with people who help me with every aspect of my life. So I really appreciate that we can still have agency even within these connected communities. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think independence in the sense of getting our children able to function in a world that prioritizes work and progress, I think that's very important. But in terms of minimizing the support that we need, then that's where it becomes a little bit more problematic. Yeah, exactly. And just one last note on that. I believe it was a conversation I had with Megan Ashburn and Jules Edwards about their book, I Will Die on This Hill. We had them on the show last season. And they talked about that what we're really looking for with our kids is for them to have a sense of self-determination, not really independence. So that's very connected to this idea of agency. So I really like that. But let's, again, bring it back to us as parents. Why is it important that we as parents experience agency? When I think about the work that led me to work on trauma and agency, my doctoral dissertation was on agency. And so why did I become so obsessed with this concept? And it's because during trauma or chronic stress, and we know that chronic stress shows up as trauma. So it's called toxic stress because of what it does to our body physically. So during toxic stress and trauma, there is a loss of agency, mainly because we are in a reactive survival mode and our brain and body is going into let's get me safe. And we hyper focus on that. But secondarily, because when we go through hard things, our world gets a little bit smaller. And it's really difficult to widen our view and see different options. I think as parents of differently wired children, we are under a lot of stress. And often, I don't even realize how much stress I'm under until the end of the day. When we can start to recognize that we actually have choices and self-determination and agency throughout the day and in our relationships, I think for me, it shifts me into a feeling of empowerment and peace and calm, regardless of how difficult the circumstances. When we don't have choices, we can go into victim mode. And that can be really dangerous in terms of our nervous system and our brain We're not able to regulate, and we are definitely not able to co-regulate with our children. And by dangerous, of course, I don't mean physically dangerous, but we're not able to show up the way we want to and the way we need to in order to help our children. I want to go deeper into this concept of choice, and we'll do that right after a quick break. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. 
Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. I want to look at this idea of choice a little bit more. This is something that I wrote about in Differently Wired, and it's something that I recognize for a lot of parents. As you said, our worlds can feel like they get smaller and smaller. We can feel like we have less and less options, especially if we're in a smaller community where there's like two schools or we just feel like things are kind of closing in on us. I also think that this concept of choice, there is this idea that with more privilege comes more choice and more resources comes more choice. And so could we talk about choice a little bit more within the context of those things. We're not necessarily talking about having the money to fork out for this, this or that, or living in this specific place. Like what does choice really mean on a deeper level? I think for me, it means I'm developing an internal locus of control. And when I can find choice, even in the different stages of not only my child's life, but my life, what I'm doing is I'm widening my window of tolerance. And the window of tolerance is this place, this metaphorical place where we can think and feel at the same time. And we do that by really strengthening our internal locus of control, because ultimately, I can't control anyone or anything outside of myself, especially my children, as we all know, and that can feel really disempowering. I have choices internally. I can choose how I think about a situation. I can choose how I talk about a situation. I can think about how I label a particular child or don't label them. There are so many choices that we have throughout the day that are micro choices. And the brain does not reject small decisions because it, it doesn't feel threatened. And so in that sense, I feel like it's actually very powerful to find choice in the internal ways that we are grappling with our unique situations. 
Okay. You said so many interesting things. Micro choices, the brain doesn't reject those. Like that feels really interesting to me that it doesn't feel threatened. So why would it throw up a fuss if we make these micro choices? So could you give us a couple examples then about what you're talking about? What would some of these micro choices look like that could help develop this stronger internal locus of control that you're talking about? Yeah. So of course, we talked about awareness of what's happening in our body, and that shows up as parents. And so one micro choice could be, you know, I'm feeling really activated. My child is really, it's a difficult day, and I'm feeling depleted. So one micro choice would be to go in my bedroom. And this is something I do all the time, and lock the door for a few minutes and reset. And I am taking charge of my reaction and my nervous system instead of displacing what's happening with me onto him. So I have thoughts and feelings about how he's behaving. And those are my thoughts and feelings that I can do a reset on. So that would be a very small micro choice and maybe doing the physiological side. Another example would be texting my partner, my husband, Kevin, or as a single parent, a close friend and saying, I need 20 minutes to go get a soda or to go just walk in the park. And those micro choices, they don't seem like they would be radical shifts. But what it does is it gets you out of that immediate environment. You start to reset, especially if you're in nature, and you're able to return to parenting in a way that you're able to show up the way you want to show up. Because we all want to show up as our best and highest selves. But we're inundated and it's a very tricky balance of allowing our children's needs to take priority and then balancing that with if we're completely empty, we absolutely cannot serve them. Yeah, absolutely. Because we are talking about such kind of small moments, which I appreciate again, that makes so much sense that the brain isn't going to push back on that. Can you talk about what we gain from that, because I'm trying to imagine my listeners hearing this conversation and thinking, okay, well, that's all well and good, but I'm still feeling trapped. I'm still living in this town. I still don't have options for school. I still, so is there a cumulative payoff or yeah, just talk us through this a little bit. Yeah, there is a cumulative payoff. We start to reframe how we are showing up And does it change the fact that you're not getting the adequate services in your small town? It does not. What it does is it keeps us connected to our prefrontal cortex, which is where logic and reasoning and wisdom lives. And we're able to problem solve more efficiently. So I too live in a very small town with limited resources. And so I really empathize with any of your listeners that experience that. And when I am connected to my prefrontal cortex, I start doing things like looking in the nearest cities and looking for services, looking for research protocols that may be enrolling children in. My son, who's profoundly deaf, was enrolled in a research, a long-term research study. And that's how we were able to kind of get services that we weren't able to find in town. So what it does is it allows us to stay online so that we can start to problem solve. It won't change our direct situation in that moment, but kind of like glimmers, you know, Deb Dana's concept of glimmers, like joy points throughout the day that we string together. Micro choices, what they do as we string them together, it helps us regulate quicker and problem solve more efficiently. 
And I think that's what our kids need ultimately, because their circumstances are constantly changing. Right. And as with everything that we do, I imagine this is something that we can be modeling as well and help our kids learn how to do this. Do you see that in your work? Oh, absolutely. So my differently wired son is now 15 and he actually joined the swim team this year. I mean, I have sobbed tears of joy and also pain as he's made this decision and watching him not be able to swim in the first swim meet because he just couldn't get up to the block. He just started to go into fight or flight and just, oh, it was so painful. And then I also saw him yesterday at his swim meet. I was a timer, so I was right there. He got up right before he got up to the block. He started doing deep breathing and he was doing the physiological sigh. I'm not kidding. And I looked and I said, are you doing okay? He goes, I'm just doing my deep breathing, mom. And so he has seen me do this for several years when I'm feeling activated. He was feeling activated. He was going for a new challenge and he did it. So I absolutely believe that anything we're doing is being modeled for them and it's going to show up in ways we, we can't even imagine, both the good and the challenging parts of our parenting. Yeah, absolutely. And just to tie in agency and trauma, how do you see those things as being connected? Yeah, that's a great question. Research does show, and this comes out of Bessel van der Kolk's Trauma Research Foundation, that one of the more insidious parts of trauma is that we lose agency. And of course, trauma and toxic stress have similar reactions. And as parents of differently wired children, we are under that toxic stress we talked about. When we are living in such a stressful environment, agency seems to, unless we're conscious of it, it seems to almost drift or our sense of it drifts away. And in order to recover some of the self-determination in our parenting, we have to actively look for places that we can have more choice. So I feel like it's directly tied to how we're able to navigate our parenting journey. So for parents who are, again, listening to this and are just very much in it, any kind of best practices or something that they could even play with today to explore this concept of whether or not they even feel any sense of agency in their life and then how they might be able to build that wherever they're starting from? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a list maker. I love making lists. And so I would encourage a five-minute timer on your phone and just start on the notes section of your phone or pen to paper, listing out places where you feel like you have choice, what shampoo you use, how long your walk is, if you allow pets in the home, what friends you text. We all have a lot of choices that we can start expanding. And when we start to become aware of it, just a list and start to, ch- and then choose one and decide, you know what, I want to expand on that. I want to text my friend more often. I'm going to make a different choice next time I'm activated, whatever that is. And it's really through those small steps that we see large gains over time. And our brain's not going to notice incremental process, but at some point you will look back to who you were as a parent a few years earlier, and you will be amazed not just through this practice, but through all of the practices that your listeners are employing in order to show up as the parent they want to be. 
Yeah, I love that. That five minute list, I started making it in my head as you were describing it. And just to be clear, this also isn't saying that we're just going to be focusing on the things we do have a choice on as a way to deny the areas where we don't have that sense of agency, right? That's right. I mean, we it is not practical or advisable when our child is really activated and having a hard time regulating for us to turn around and say, it's my choice. I'm going in my bedroom right now. These are all mitigated around what's happening in that moment. And so it's definitely needs to always be a flexible concept where we're taking into consideration our children and our family. Yeah, that's great. Oh my goodness. Such an interesting conversation. I really love having dialogues like this just because it's a little nerdy, but in a really good way and practical. So it's kind of all the good things. Before we say goodbye, could you tell listeners a little bit more about specifically the way that you work and your Mending Trauma organization and how people can connect with you? Absolutely. We are a digital mental health organization that focuses on trauma. We have a trauma recovery program. It is a monthly membership. And inside the program, we use all sorts of different therapies, including somatic therapies and practices, EMDR, internal family systems. We work on brain and nervous system rewiring. And we have a group that is for women and we have a group that is for men. And it's such an honor to walk people through trauma recovery. And of course, we're also on Instagram at Mending Trauma. We are here for anyone who's interested in looking at whether they're ready to heal their trauma. That's wonderful. Thank you. Well, thank you again. I really am so grateful that you reached out. I think this is such a, again, interesting conversation. It brings together so many different aspects of what we experience as parents and other conversations we're having throughout this entire season and a lot of food for thought. So thank you so much. Thanks for everything you shared and for, yeah, just being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Debbie. It was really, really nice to talk to you. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. If you want to learn more about today's guest and the resources we talked about, you can always go to the extensive show notes page on tiltparenting.com. There you'll find key takeaways, links to all the resources that were discussed, and even a full transcript of our conversation. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. The Tilt Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Tilt Parenting. And it was edited by my wonderful producer, Andrea Curtis Amasquita. If you want to support this show, please consider joining my Patreon campaign and making a small monthly contribution. Just go to patreon.com slash tilt parenting to learn more. If you want to follow tilt on social media, go to at tilt parenting on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, please take a minute to leave a five star rating or review on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts that helps the show stay visible so others can easily find it. Thanks so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well and take good care. And for more information about any of the parenting resources Tilt offers, visit TiltParenting.com. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. 
I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 